Press Secretary Sean Spicer refusing to say today whether the president is secretly recording conversations in the White House. I said I was very clear that we, the president would have nothing further on that last week. After Trump took to Twitter last week to suggest he had taped conversations with former FBI Director Comey, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle pounced. If there are tapes, the president should turn them over immediately, of course, to destroy them would be a violation of law. And if there are any tapes, they have to be turned over. Uh, you can't be cute about tapes. The White House is still grappling with the fallout of Trump's sudden firing of Comey, a move that just 29% of Americans support, according to a new Wall Street Journal NBC News poll. You're listening to the Mixtape Preservation Society. I'm your host, DJ Fornicati. This hour, we interview Indianapolis born and bred, Baby Blue Entertainment recording artist, Jeremiah Cosner. Damn drum machine. Oh shit, I left the motherfucker with poo. You dumb motherfucker, what the fuck we gonna do now? Oh no. Hey man, I got some drums in the back. What the yeah. fuck is he talking about? Do it look like we could play some fucking drums? Man, I can play the drums. Oh, oh shit. shit. Man, I used to fuck it up at Compton. Yeah, motherfucker. That's bullshit. Get this nigga some sticks. 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 Yo, fuck it up, yella.
Greetings, and welcome to the Mixtape Preservation Society. I'm your host, BJ Fornicati. So, uh, this is hour three, but technically it's episode two. First two hours were one episode, and that was with Gin XS as our guest. Uh, we have a different guest this week, Jeremiah Cosner, so it's a different episode. But I don't really like calling these episodes. I know that's the popular thing to do with podcasts, but... Um, I'm just going to call them hours. It, go, it harks back to my radio training. I used to work in radio for a long time. I was never behind the mic. I was always behind the boards. And this is a relief because we don't have to play any commercials, which I hate anyway. And if I ever do get a sponsor for this, I'm going to find a way to expose the advertiser to my audience without having to interrupt the show. Because I think it takes you out of the moment. But... Also, we're not live, so I can do any format I want, really. I can. I don't have to worry about the FCC. Um, I don't have to worry about time. I could go for an hour. Some people have suggested shorter. Some people have suggested longer. I just figure, hey, you know, I'm going to do my thing. It might change over time. But for now, I like the hour format. So anyway, this week I, I said Jeremiah Cosner is my guest. Jeremiah is a well-known figure in Indianapolis um, in the both the bar and club scene. Some people might say they're the same. I don't think so. I think there's a very distinct difference. Jeremiah used to run the Wild Beaver Saloon in Broad Ripple. Uh, and he has connections to the entire chain. As a result, he knows a lot of people about town. Right now, he works for a, um, a company who I'm not sure if I could say their name I don't think he would mind, but I'm just going to... I don't want to seem like I'm bragging or name-dropping. So suffice it to say, he works for a company that sells alcohol, and they send him to bars, and he buys shots for everybody, and then he takes off. And every time he's in town, he calls me up and says, let's go hang out. Because it's kind of a lonely job, and you like having people that you know with you. Uh, even though he meets all sorts of people. I actually met Jeremiah about three or four years ago um, when I had just started really settling into Indianapolis and he asked me to join his band and so the band played for about two years then that ended and he went off and did his own stuff of which I'll be playing for you you just heard Coney Island which was one of his early songs song we used to do in the band but that's not us playing on that track that was produced long before I even met Jeremiah Needless to say, he came into town, he called me up, I pulled out the trusty digital recorder, we went out of town, recorded our conversation. I haven't listened to the recording since I did it, so I do know that although Jeremiah's music is very roots rock and kind of country tinged, I don't think that's what we really talked about. I'd had a couple shots, so my memory's a little bit blurry, but I'll regain it all once I listen to the recording. We, I think we talked about everything but his music. We talked about everybody else's music. and See, that's the thing here with this show is I'm just learning how to do it. Most of the people I'm interviewing are good friends, so we don't have the kind of conversations that interviewers and subjects have. We're having more informal chats. It's hard enough pulling out the recorder because it already removes you from the experience. Most of the subjects I've interviewed so far they, they just want to talk. They just want to talk like real people. So um, what you're going to hear is a real conversation, and it rambles and it goes off on tangents. But it's 
it also you know provides some good points and Jeremiah's a smart guy and like I said he, he has a little history in this town and he travels a lot so he, he sees a lot of things so what I'm gonna do right now is play one more song by Jeremiah this one is a rehearsal recording we did when I was in the band playing bass <clears throat> we are known as the concrete sailors on lead guitar is uh, John Stropes and on drums is Joe Ritchie Jeremiah's rhythm guitar and vocals on bass it's just us rehearsing for a gig. I used to record all of our rehearsals and I've got them all archived. So this is some of the better stuff that we've got. This one's called Put It In Your Face. I'm gonna play this one. I'm gonna put it in your face and then I'll put the interview in your face. And it's a two-part interview, so um, I'll, I'll piece it up. Here we go, Mixtape Preservation Society.
talking with Jeremiah Cosner. We're here over at the Flatwater in Broad Ripple, just talking about all sorts of shit. No direction where we're talking. He just, I, I pulled out the recorder because he just told me that he used to DJ in college. Elaborate on that, sir. You know, I did. I used to, <laughs> I used to lock myself in the room, and I had like a, you know, like a, like a, I had one of those computer screens. Thank you. Thank you very much. I had one of those computer screens that was also a TV, so it was like a 32-inch monitor. Right on. So I used to have this just massive screen, and I bought Acid Pro. So what I would do is I would just, I would just loop beats all night, beat after beat after beat after beat. And at that time, I had actually just seen Action Jackson. Oh, okay. Spinning at Urban Outfitters. Which one? Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, okay. He was spinning outside on the street, and he was doing like, oh yeah. Like good stuff. Like I was like, wow, nobody does that. So I when was this? This is probably two thousand and six, two thousand five, wow. so, two thousand six. So over ten years ago. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, He's been spinning that long. He's been spin- that, and so he had just started spinning then. So anyway, I get inspired by this. I'm like, wow, you know, this is like right up my alley. It's such cool music, unique vibe. And he's putting, you know, break beats behind it. Yeah. So I used to go home and just sit and just spin. And then, I, you know, we'd, we'd shoot darts and get fucked up. And I'd get brave enough to put on these records yeah. that I had been making all day. <laughs> and we would have a party. Nice. Yeah, there's, I mean, I trip out on, like, some of the, you know, in some ways, you know, I, I've said in the past, like, that, like, uh, Indies a lot like L.A. 20 years ago. That's not necessarily a, a diss. There was some cool shit happening 20 years ago in L.A. It's just, you know, L.A. so ahead of the curve. Like, right now, for example, like, when I went back to L.A., all the vinyl is cheap. Like it used to be a lot more expensive. It's cheap now. And I just read something that, like, once again, sales are up nationwide on vinyl, like another 200% or something. Damn. That means a city like L.A. and, like, cities like New York and Chicago, it's starting to plateau. It's going to take a while before that happens in Indianapolis. Sure. So we still got at least another, another good... decade. Yeah, another 10 years of, of getting um, high-quality records and vinyl used. I'm not talking, like... Uh, you know, 180 gram vinyl stuff that's being released now. I'm talking like stuff that people used to own when it came out. Right. I come across gems all the time, and uh, it's like, when's it gonna end? How many fucking records did people buy? I mean, whack records outnumber good records for sure, oh, without a doubt. You know, like all that Andy Williams, Herb Alpert. Oh yeah, yeah. There's so many, there's so much weird shit. Chubby, Chubby Checker. You know, that's funny, dude. We got like three Chubby Checker records at the at Fats Domino. <laughs> yeah, I like Fats Domino. Me too, dude. Chuck Berry, dude. Chuck Berry's the greatest. That actually made me. I only got sad. one Chuck Berry vinyl record, and it's a. Is it greatest hits? Yeah, I don't want to call it a greatest hits, but it has all the hits. But I don't think it's technically a greatest hits. Right. Well, I mean, because he, he, he had a lot of albums, and he did a lot of shit. And some of his best stuff came out after he got out of jail, man. Like one of my favorite that song, "No Particular Place to Go." That's that's after he got out of jail. That one that was in Pulp Fiction, you never can tell. Yeah, uh, that was after he got out of jail. 
you know, because he got locked up for a while. What's going on, brother, man? Welcome back. Thank you very much, man. Happy awesome. Sunday. Yeah, you too. I've been great, man. I've been I've been out and about doing my thing, but I feel like every time I'm home yeah. for a weekend, I like to come in here and enjoy myself. Yeah, relax yeah. a little bit. You got it. Hey, Fox. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. You guys chill and enjoy yourself. Thanks so much, man. But you know what? There is something to be said for this new wave of vinyl record listeners because it opens up the eyes to people that are so used to singles and mixtapes and you know music now, music now, music now, that so many people are now getting open to what an album really is. You know, it's almost like a movie. I was, you can't you can't skip tracks on a you know you, you can't go to track three. You got to listen to one and two, not unless you know exactly where to lay it. My theory is like like when pop music got big, it was all 45s. Yeah, and it like coincides with like. Stages of growth. Most most people's first album was a 45. Singles and 45s are like I don't want to say it's kid stuff, but like that's what the kids are into. Like back when rock and roll was big, there weren't rock albums. It was like singles, and then you wouldn't even put the single on the album because you wanted people to buy the single and the album. Right. You know, back then they didn't put the singles on the album, or if they did, it, they were right. It was featuring the single. You know, it's a kids thing. By the 60s. Those kids were growing up, and the musicians were getting more mature, and they became about albums. Right now, we're going through the same cycle where, because of the technology, you know, when did Napster come out? 96. So, that's like 20 years ago. Yeah. So, now, it, it's, the kids stuff's done. People are done with, like, MP3s and oh, yeah. just songs, videos, you know, streaming, whatever. People it's are awkwardly st- going in reverse. It's what you said, though. It's albums. People yeah. are now that generation is coming of age and starting to realize. I want to hear more than just one song. I want to hear all this dude's songs. I want to right. hear this whole guy's catalog. I want to hear. Now, don't get me wrong. There, you know, there, there is certain avenues for the single to work in your to your favor, depending upon your genre. Like if you're a hip hop artist. Yeah, it's gonna be pretty common. It's because right. of clubs. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna throw out a single, get it, it's fun, and bone, yeah. just, spend, just spend my single. But I think if you're gonna do something different, like a folk, like like a, like 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 a folk rock group, or like a, like a funk folk, or like a psychedelic rock, or, you know, any type of new wave thing, you want to make an impact. Come out with a full blown 12 to 13 song album. And kill, them, and kill them with it all, you know, as opposed to just, hey, this is our song, and these are the other songs that I was supposed to make because the record company. Right, no filler. And see, going back to what we were saying, we didn't record the, the, this when we were talking about Kendrick. One of the reasons why I don't think he is that overrated is because To Pimp a Butterfly is a concept album. It is a complete album, including he has a conversation with Tupac at the end of the album. Obviously, you know, he's. It's from an old, you know, they edited it together to sound like he's talking with Tupac. I got you. But if you listen to that album from beginning to end, yeah, maybe there's not hit singles on it. I'll I'll give you that. There's, and some of the lyricism, if you take the songs out of the album, it's weak. But as a whole, he's he's stepping in the right direction. It's not a masterpiece. Some people were saying so. To Pimp a Butterfly is a masterpiece. I won't go that far and say that. No, it's not. But he's on the right track, and I don't. I haven't heard any of the new album I mean, yet. I don't want to say it's not. But I mean, I understand sure what is. you mean about how he hasn't grabbed you yet, 
because that was the era of singles too. Like that's what you were talking about earlier about like you know you can hear Nas and know what his voice. You were saying the Pac. Biggie. Biggie, all these guys. He did he. I mean, yeah. he fucking goes you on knew who they were. And yeah, Jermaine Dupree fucking was for Christ's sake. Just <laughs> yeah. because of his even, voice. Even the brat. You know, I feel like today's... Now, th- this is one thing that I, I, am, I do not like technology for. And that is, for the hip-hop world, vocalists. You can play with it so much. You can sound like, you know... What is it? Who, who's the cat that does the... the T-Pain? Yeah, T-Pain. You know, you can... And even even Kanye does it a lot. Yeah, Kanye plays with that falsetto and you know through that techno yeah. fucking weird thing. But sometimes it's cool. Like Nicki Minaj, like I didn't like Nicki Minaj when I first heard her, but then uh, Pink Friday came through on CD and I took it home. I'm like, you know, there's one or two gems of hers I like, like shitted on them and like sure. Revenge of Roman. No, you know, no, she's with, good. But she's when I heard good. the whole album, like I still wasn't feeling the. Uh, the R&B stuff, but I kind of like what they do with her vocals. Like they just stutter it and make all these effects or whatever. And she's she's got a flow. Her voice is just really she's great. Yeah, she, I I gotta give her belated props. I didn't like her at first, but the more I listened to her, the more I realized this bitch can rhyme, dude. She if she came out in the 1980s wearing a hoodie and a kangol, people would, there'd be no doubt that she'd be a lyrical genius, yeah. you know. But this is the 2000s. Be right there with Missy Elliott. Yeah, this, yeah, she's like she's gone the next step beyond Missy Elliott. Oh, yeah. But Missy Elliott is still great as Ellen. Yeah, she's still a legend. In fact, she's ahead of her time now. People are starting to realize Way, how, so how ahead of her time she was, man. All that Timbaland, dude. What's he been up to? Let's Who knows? She's probably doing something new, something fresh. She's always working on something. Timbaland and Magoo. Couple. I always loved his beats, man. His I beats. Because he was thinking of the future, man. He wasn't thinking about... Like, his shit doesn't sound dated. No. Um, God, there was one album out. It was like a... It was a Missy... I think it was a Missy uh, Elliott comp. Like, just a bunch of different artists doing tracks. I forgot the name of it. It wasn't a Missy Elliott album, but like Beyonce had a track on it. Like, it was a Timbaland beat with Beyonce singing on it. I'm trying to remember it. I'll have to Google it or something like that, but that was like. 20- That's another thing that happened back in the 90s. Though. There were a lot of strange collab records. You had like DJ Flex, you know, Funk. Yeah, Funk Master Flex. Yeah, Funk Master Flex. Uh, guys that, even like Timberland, guys that would work with everybody put an album out or a record out or just a bunch of fucking singles yeah well that's cause of, cause you know what changed that was Illmatic Illmatic was one of the first album rap albums where like it wasn't just one producer producing every track Nas outsourced that shit he was like oh you got a beat and you got a beat I'll, I'll freak your beat and your beat yeah. so it was like a, he had no famous guest appearances and the outcome is he's crowned the best lyricist right and that's a conscious effort man like, like Biggie he only had Met the Man on his debut. That's the only rapper who was on Ready to Die. Wow. Yeah, and that's the sickest track. The what? Yeah, it is the fuck. Fuck the world, track. don't ask me for shit. That's a sick ass track, dude. So did you get into like hip hop first? Yeah. Or you got into rock first? Well, you know what I guess is when you break it down. I got really into like, you know, as a kid, country. A lot of country, but you know, Early 90s country, like the White Yoakum, Marty Stewart, Patty Loveless, Alabama. Was that stuff from your parents or like? Yeah, my mom. And then I got introduced to like 
My, my very first cassette tape was Nirvana Nevermind. Okay. And my very first, that and Tim McGraw, Indian Outlaw. Wow, what so is there's, <laughs> there's There's something for you. But see, that, 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 that makes sense compared, like, you know, being playing with you in a band, hearing the songs that you write, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of, you know, it wasn't country music, but there's a lot of country aspects. They're like, On My Way is a good yeah, example. Yeah, it was verse one. Bridge. Uh, on my way, it could two, be a country bridge. song. Like if, yeah. if you had like a straight up country singer. It's I wrote that song as if I was Johnny Cash. Yeah, with the slide on it and everything. That's just that's you know that's the that's the vibe you get from it. But it makes sense now because I don't think I ever really asked you. I be I, when we met, it was more like we just vibed on on what we were talking about. But like I never actually asked you, you know, what your first take was, for example. Yeah, you that, know? that was right. it. And then Dookie, never mind. I'm sorry, Dookie, Green Day. Green Day Dookie was also that was on big. that list. That was big at that time, for sure. And then it gets kind of blurry from there. I mean, I, I do remember getting like this heavy, 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 heavy into hip hop in about 1996. That was a great year for hip hop, man. And that's when I think my first hip hop record was Tupac All Eyes On Me. It was definitely on the list. It was a CD I got for Easter. My grandmother got it for me for Easter. Your grandma got you a Pac album? She got me a Tupac album, All Eyes On Me. It was that double disc. Yeah. And that that album, that changed my life. Cause, so here this is what I was getting back with the Kendrick Lamar. There's so many songs on that album that are fucking, without a doubt, top-notch tracks that never made it to mainstream radio. Yeah. So many. But later in his career, it was like, oh, fuck, that, that, there's a good one. That's the album good. with Hail Mary on it? Is Hail Mary on that? No, I don't, I'm, I've had a couple beers. I couldn't tell you exactly <laughs> how many. What's, I mean, I know, you know, you had... Uh, I wish I could think of a bunch of Is that of the titles. one with Method, and, uh, Method Man and Red Man on it? Got my mind made up. Is that the one? I got my mind made up. Come that, on. Get okay. in, get into See, because like I said, I wasn't that into, I wasn't into Pac that much, but I do remember he did some collabs with some of the rappers. I was in, like Red Man and Method Man were yeah. my shit. Like I remember when they released Month of the Man, it was a it was a cassette single. One side was Method Man with tracks from Tikal, and the other side was tracks from uh, I think it might have been What the Album or There is a Dark Side. Like It was like a split single on cassette. Month of the Man, Red Man, Method Man. And and when Pac did that with them, I'm like, all right, so Pac's got some shit, you know, but they, they had to have been that album. Because I, I never owned that album. Yeah. Uh, you know, I that all bypassed me, but, you know. But anyway, you're saying, so like, where Pac stands out, as opposed to someone like Kendrick Lamar. Like, I mean, was that a whole... Was he on Death Row at that time when he did that? that yeah, that was that was released on Death Row. That was Suge Knight. Death Row. So was it all Dre production? The other or? track that was on there that you definitely know was Two of America's Most Wanted. Okay, so yeah, Snoop was on that one. Yeah. yeah. But see, that's a Daz Dillinger beat, right? Isn't that Daz? I don't know. I think that's a Daz Dillinger. I I think I'm not sure. Daz. Daz. That's Dre's or Daz that's Snoop's cousin. Yeah, Daz. Dog Pound. These guys are still dropping. But anyway, no, you know what? And then, he, and then he had, he had, he had, you know, Pac. I remember Master P coming out, and anything on No Limit became like, whoa, like I don't give a fuck who the artists were. Like, let's just put it in, yeah. into example: Soldier Slim. Yeah. You know, nobody knew the fuck Soldier Slim. C Murder. Was, but C Murder. The fact that when you turn the album around, the direct, you know, the CD around, and it had that big old dollar sign, you're 
like, I'm getting this one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no limit, man. They, yeah, they, they're, they're the ones who really... No, I'm sorry. No limit was the tank. So if you had the tank, you can't... Cash Money kind of jacked off of No Limit in terms of their packaging. Yeah. And you and I both know that. Yeah. No, yeah. The, Master P... You had the tank. Ice, I just remember Ice Cream Man and Ghetto D. But then, like, yeah, it seemed like almost instantly Cash Money just came through and, like... Killed it with Hot Boys and 504. And my buddy was way into Manny Fresh as a producer. So we would go everywhere in, in his car. I didn't have a car at the time, so I, I was... I, I didn't like I didn't like Cash Money at first. A lot of shit that I like now, I didn't... I'm a hater like that, you know? <laughs> I didn't like it at first, and... It takes somebody to like basically brainwash me to get yeah. me into it. I was 13 it. years old, four, 14 years old, when when I got my first like synthesizer beat beat pad. Uh-huh. And that was because of No Limit. Because I, I li- literally all they were doing was yeah. 808 beats and, and shit. fucking looping. Yeah, I remember when Back That Ass Up came out too. Like that was like that was everywhere. Like white chicks. On Disney Records, were listening to that shit. You know, I'll play that back that ass up song. You know, and it's, you know, I got friends who like they, everywhere. I, I got friends who hate on the Dirty South, but like I said, I kind of got brainwashed to at least appreciate the production and what they were doing. Like Wayne was just a kid. Lil Wayne was just like tiny. Who who would have thought that he'd be still making music? Yeah, and it's funny because like you know, I was watching I like Lil Wayne a lot. I was watching this video with Charlie Murphy, late Charlie Murphy, before he died. He was on a radio station, and there was a video on YouTube. It's probably still on there. He's talking about he's talking about all sorts of different stuff, but uh, he's talking about groupies and how like he went to a party, and there was a girl that used to hit on Eddie Murphy at the height of his fame, like in the '80s. Yeah, still hoeing, still hitting on Little Wayne, hitting on Little Wayne. <laughs> he's like, she's still a hoe. I thought that was so funny, dude. She's still a hoe. This is some shit right here, but we're here listening. This is Wilson Pickett. You ever listen to like... Everybody sampled this. Jay-Z sampled this for fucking Crazy, Crazy in Love. Uh, LL sampled this for uh, the Bristol Hotel off of Bigger and Deffer. Wow. This is a sick-ass... Dre sampled this for Fuck the Police. This like... There's a breakbeat in here. You'll hear it. It's like... It just gets nuts, dude. Sweet. I love Wilson Pickett, man. He's like, see, now this would be something that'd be sick to have an EDM beat behind, just like, just, just rock this shit. Yeah. I like that. That bass. Yeah. Oh, this is a bass player's dream. This music really is. This is that good stuff right here, man. You want to bounce and hit up another spot? Yeah, yeah. All right, let me go use the restroom real quick. I'm going to turn this off. Yo, 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 yo. All right, before we get back into the music, uh, just a couple of corrections that I wanted to, to make. 
uh, number one, the um, the Missy Elliott album that I was trying to think of was The Real World. It's her second album, and the song was Crazy Feelings featuring Beyonce. That wasn't the only Beyonce collaboration that Missy ever did, but that's the one I was thinking of. Uh, number two, uh, Hail Mary was actually on the um, Don Caluminati Seven Day Theory album that Pac released around the time he died. Number three, um, indeed it was Daz Dillinger who produced two of America's Most Wanted for Pac and Snoop. I got more of the interview uh, later on, but we talked about a song that Jeremiah had done, a song that we played in his band called On My Way, and I'm going to play it right now. In fact, it's playing underneath us. You can hear kind of the jam out that we're doing on it, and I'm going to fade it up into the uh, part where Jeremiah starts singing. So go ahead and enjoy that. And after that, I'll play some more of the interview that we had. The rest of the interview was on the ride back from Broad Ripple. So you can peep that, and, uh, and then we'll play some more Jeremiah tracks and uh, close out this hour. So here we go.
what you got here? Kasabian? I haven't heard Kasabian. One of the greatest. Really? What kind of music is it? Is it like, like alternative rock or metal? or? It's the best. It's without a doubt the best. You can go to... big fan of the 808. I, you know what I want to do on the next podcast? Um, I want to take a Beach Boys track off Pet Sounds and put an 808 kit on it. Because <laughs> I, I just imagine like if Brian Wilson were doing music today that's contemporary, he would be he would be all about that 808. I think you're right. You know, it's like the music that he does is beautiful and all that. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Brian Wilson. He's one of the most influential. People don't realize it, dude. He's so influential, man. Like, the Beatles were afraid of this guy. Yeah, he had great melodies. Yeah. He was a one-man orchestra. They were afraid of him. They were threatened by him. They, You know, they made Sgt. Pepper because he made Pet Sounds, and he made Pet Sounds because they did Revolver. Like, it was this back-and-forth wow. war. A lot of groups from the 60s, their harmonies, they were trying to be the Beach Boys, man. Like, they were Jim Mor- one of Jim Morrison's favorite groups. The Who owes a lot to the Beach Boys. Like, you know, they, the Beach Boys don't get a lot of juice because people think they're corny. They think, you know, the surfing songs and, like, oh, you know, the, the white bread. No, some know. of the greatest songs ever. Yeah, they, they those guys, they were a vocal group back when vocal groups still matter. Yeah. You know, that's why I got to give it up to R&B, man. Like, I'm not a fan of every R&B song, but I, I do love the voices. Like, oh, the harmonies and, like, you know, hey, I'm the bass. Uh, yeah, you know, like the soul of it, you know, like that stuff. Doo-wop. I'm a big fan of doo-wop. I, I don't know oh, if yeah. you've ever known that, but I love oldies and doo-wop and, you know. Yeah. They don't have a station like that out here. They do, I believe it's 104.5. 104.5 plays doo-wop and like the Goldies. 104.5. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna have to check that out, man. Yes. Yeah. 
I've been searching like that's you know I got a little bit of rockabilly style and oh yeah and, and you know my, my parents listened to that stuff they, they, you know they were they used to cruise mm. you know back in LA the, uh, Van Nuys Boulevard I, it, it's amazing to think about but there used to be like Friday nights Saturday nights people would cruise they would just sit in their cars and cruise yeah and like they sometimes they wouldn't even move they'd just be on Van Nuys Boulevard just be camping out in their cars That's talking so cool. to people it's like imagine a tailgate party at the Indy but on on a major street instead of in a parking lot that's what the cruising scene was like and people used to listen to the oldies and like you know make out hit on chicks yeah dress you know, up smoke weed you know yeah American graffiti that's what that shit's all about that's cool shit man that's real yeah but you know the cops started shutting that shit down because you know they didn't have any control over it so they had to shut it down Era's long gone. Yeah, I know. That's, that's a generation lost. Yeah. You know, I, I, it could still come about. I mean, there, there's certain places where you can still get that vibe. Like in Burbank, the Bob's Big Boy in Burbank, they still have car clubs come through and you can get like your food bust to you on by a waitress on roller wow, skates. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, it's... You know, and that stuff could happen out here if they, if someone, I'm sure there's a place that we don't know about that's doing that. Trying. Yeah, I mean, they got drive-ins out here. The tip's driving. Man. Yeah, yeah. They're not, I mean, they're not all that they're cracked up to be, but. Nah, but you know what? There's no drive-ins in L.A. anymore. So I would take, I'll take the tip's drive-in any day over, you know, not having one at all. This cat in front of us has got to be fucked up. <laughs> He's literally going 25 miles an hour on a 45. He's probably scared. It's just me. There's no cop on the road, Woody. Woody. This is a nice street right here. I, I love the houses on this street. Yeah, uh, Westfield slash Range Line. Yeah, Range Line. And this is a route I take a lot when I'm coming back from Broad Ripple. Obviously, this guy doesn't. This is a treacherous street in the snow, though. Oh, yeah. I hate driving this shit in the snow. This is a cool street. I think this runs parallel with the Monon. Yeah, pretty much. You take that. What, what's the last show you went and saw, Jeremiah? Like, what's the last concert you went to? Oh, man. Last concert I saw. Mm. Let me think about that one. Oh, I saw, uh, I saw Dashboard Confessional. Really? At Bogart's in Cincinnati. $12. Oh, wow. Yeah. How was it? Unfucking believable. I didn't even know they were still around. Like, I, like, I think they're back on it. Like, this is their first tour back. But, man, talk about is it. oozing with emotion. Yeah. A lot of those groups are coming back though, like some 41, um, what is it, like No Saturday, something like, uh, all those like punk, you know, rock punk bands from the, from the mid-90s. Yeah. So they all be making a comeback. Well, I I, th I would go so far as to say they never stopped, that they just, you know, they, they obviously had to down, you know, downgrade to like smaller venues, but they still, they still do it, you know, like, like yeah. a band like Fishbone's been playing since the 80s. And, you know, they'll come to the hi-fi and play a show for, like, 20 bucks. It's money. I you know, that. and you're, like, right there. You could touch them. 
And then they'll do a festival and be like, you know, on a huge stage in front of like thousands. Couple, yeah, tens of thousands of people. Uh, you know, so I think a lot of those bands, you know, people for, you know, people think just because a band's not on MTV anymore or they're not in the top 40, they think that they're washed up, but these bands still make money, man. Oh, they kill it. They just, you know, they go around, they, you know, and people think, oh, well, they're playing a state fair. They can't be that good. Well, you know, bands like The Doors and Led Zeppelin used to play high schools back in the 60s. Yeah. People don't realize that. They used to play auditoriums. Yeah. The same place you're watching your kid's football game. Like The Doors or like, Show you know, The Who. Jam. Yeah, they would just, you know, Jimi Hendrix. You play fucking gymnasiums. Yeah. No, no, there's no shame in it, but over the years, because of stadium rock and because of the idea that you have to rock hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, Live Nation, Ticketmaster kind of guy. Yeah, all that bullshit. You know, that, to me, that's what's ruined music more than anything. Yeah. Is that, you know. And yeah. One thing I appreciate about Indianapolis is that I can show up at Old National Center the day of a show and get a ticket and get in. Right. The day of for a reasonable price. Not even have to pay for parking if I get there early enough. That's amazing to me. You can't do that in LA. You know, I saw the Pixies that way. I went to Old National the day of. They That's still sick. had plenty of tickets. I got 10th row. Oh my God. That's a sick ass group. Yeah, I paid like 30 something bucks, you know. Uh, Rock him at the Vogue, man. That was like. That was a fucking dope ass show. And, uh, you know, I didn't get that t- that ticket day of, but I mean, uh, you know, like that was. Uh, Rock him. I mean, Corn the Chef. <laughs> you know, like that that was a. And, and I waited till midnight before the fucker went on stage, dude. Oh, yeah. He waited until, like, you know, it was the last minute and then did his shit. But it was such a dope show. I'm so glad I saw it. I wouldn't have been able to see that show in LA because it would have sold out in minutes. Right. And scalpers would have had tickets for like a hundred bucks. And the venue would be oversold anyway. And, and, uh, Old National Center is a great venue. Well, I saw a rock him at the Vogue, actually, now that I think about that's it. That's a good venue, too. Yeah. That's all you want to get up close in person. Yeah, we weren't that far away from him, man. That's the show that I saw Tony Sticks at. Yeah. He was opening up, so. Sticks probably killed it. He was, dude. They, they got seven NCs to go up there and rap. That's so And Tony had some ill flows. There was some other cats from, like, Chicago who were up there who were ripping it. Nice. It was, it was a good night. I, I went with my boy, uh, Nate. I'm trying to remember the last show I saw. I think it might have been Dillinger's Escape Plan, actually. Who's that? They're like this crazy fucking math rock metal band. Uh, their shit's like fucking insane, dude. Like, it is like... It is like some of the hardest metal you'll ever hear. Dillinger's Escape Plan. Yeah, Dillinger's Escape Plan. They were fuck. They fucking tore that shit up. They... You know, they were clean, too, but they, it's not for everyone. It's the kind of music that might hurt somebody's ears. Acquired. Yeah, very acquired taste, but they, man, in terms of energy, it's like getting shot in the face with a shotgun. with like rock <laughs> salt or something like that. Just an assault. Damn. Yeah, they, they're hard, man. They're hard as fuck. And I guess the, my, my buddy Chad, he's the one who had the tickets. He's a big fan, and I guess they're... They're uh, they're gonna retire after this tour and album, so he wanted to see them before it was too late. 
Dillinger's, Dillinger's escape plan. Yeah, it's it's intense. It's intense shit. I'll have this go good. Uh, and like, and then like this summer, there's gonna be some good shows too. Like, uh, trying to think of what I want to go see. I got We're gonna go see David Gray at the Palladium. Oh, really? The one in Carmel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit. We're going to see David Gray. I got front row seats. Yeah. He's on a solo tour. See, that's another guy that would have been like, man, you know, what's he done lately? But, you know, he's just doing his thing. He's always got something going on. Yeah, it's a career. Yeah. It's like, just because he's not on the radar doesn't mean he's not making music. Yeah, no, he's always got something going on. He's like a, in a weird way, he's almost like a Van Morrison, but not Van. Yeah, Van's his own thing. Yeah, Van is the man, but he's, you know, David's got so many old school tracks, man. Got a copy of Tupelo Honey at the at the store. It's one of the greatest. He's the greatest. Yeah, that's going to be sad the day when he passes on. All these musicians have been passing on. Man, I hope he makes it to the States. He might be, you know... Before. He, he, he might be... Uh, getting up there in age you know like and he's a heavy drinker van morrison man that guy he, his liver's probably like he probably is on his third liver by now dude wow <laughs> is that heavy of a drinker yeah he used to drink with jim morrison wow you know because they both shared the same last name so they were drinking partners and mm. you know if you can hang with jim morrison then you were an alcoholic that's awesome you know i think he's i think van morrison was he irish or scottish irish so yeah, you definitely—it's in his genes. Yeah. That guy is born to drink. <laughs> yeah, no, he's the man, dude. You still—I gave you that DVD of Live at Montreal. I've watched right? it four or five times. Yeah, that—that's a sick ass fucking. They don't make him like that anymore, man. No, nah, he's like, always in the zone. He's always in the moment. <laughs> hires the best musicians to play with him too. Yeah, well, that's understandable. I mean, you know, some people don't care. You know, the thing about Chuck Berry that was funny was. He would just show up in a town and like whoever was the bar band at the venue, that was his band for the night. And he wouldn't even rehearse with them. He'd just be like, learn my shit. You should already know how to play Johnny Be Good. Right. You know, and so there's kind of a coolness to that. But at the oh, same yeah. time, it's like, you know, you're just getting any old bar band. You don't know what you're getting. Right. So there's an unpredictability there, which is kind of cool. But at the same time, you got to admire people like Van Morrison who are like, no, I picked you because I've heard your shit and you're a killer. Right. And this is what I need for my tour. It's like. And I'm going to do it right. Yeah. Bowie was the same way, dude. Bowie didn't just hire anybody in his band. He handpicked. He's a band leader in the classic sense. Like, just the same way that James Brown was a band leader. That was yeah. David Bowie. That's like Van Morrison. Those guys, they they make an army. Right. Right. James definitely did. James Brown, man. He, that motherfucker's so influential. King. He's someone I wish I could have seen live. I agree. I 100% agree. Prince too. I was always, I'm always disappointed. I never got to see Prince. I saw him three times in 2011, man, and it was like mind blowing, dude. That guy, you know, he just at the top of his game constantly. Like I don't know if there's ever been. I've never heard reports of a bad Prince show. And, you know, the three times I saw him, there was a lot of songs he did the same. You know, like he had like a medley of hits that he would do. Yeah. But then he would throw something in at every show that was different. Like he did, not to compare to you at one show, 
with Mary J. Blige. Wow. He did uh, some Santana, some Michael Jackson, Rick James, and songs of his that he didn't play a lot, like Mountains. Damn. Yeah. And his band, dude. Talk about a band leader. That Crack fucking John Blackwell on drums. That, that guy's a monster, dude. He's like, he, you know... He, Drummers have nightmares about guys like John Blackwell. Wow. They have tr- nightmares that he's pounding their skulls. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's it. That mother, where we were at, we it was a theater in the round type thing. We were actually, uh, like, in the back of the stage. So we didn't see John Blackwell's face the whole time while he was playing. Prince would come around to the back and play to the audience. So we got to see Prince at least half of the show. You know, like he would come around to us, and, and he was only maybe about twenty feet away. But we never saw John Blackwell's face, and I can only imagine what that fucker looked like when pounding on the drum. <laughs> and he, you know, he had some backup singers. He had the twins dancing, uh, his bass player. I mean, it just they were just ridiculous, man. Those guys were tight. That is ridiculous. It just goes to show, man. You got you got to catch those shows when you can. You know, like. Like, I was in L.A. at the time, and Rachel was out here, and she got pissed off because I told her that I went and saw Prince. I never told her that I saw him three times. <laughs> <laughs> so if she hears this podcast, it'll be the first time she's hearing that. <laughs> I mean, I just had to, man. You know what? You know, Rachel was born in 84. That's yeah. when I discovered Prince. Wow. That's when Purple Rain came out. So I've actually been in love with Prince longer than, I, than she's been That's alive. That's <laughs> Sorry, you know, it's like, you know, this that's just that's just the way it rolls, man. You know, and like there's a couple of artists I wanna see before they croak. Yeah, I have always wanna see the boss. Yeah, you know what? I would love to see Bruce Springsteen live, man. Uh, you know, some people hate on him, but no, I think he would be sick to see live. And he oh right here. He puts on this three hour, four hour shows, man, you get your money's worth. Exactly. But then again, you saw the Stones on the Speedway, man. Oh, man. dude, that was one of the most epic shows ever. That's, yeah, I wish I could have just gone, even being on the lawn, I would have appreciated Yeah, it. I have seen the Stones. I'm so thankful that I can say that. Thank you for listening to the Mixtape Preservation Society. Tune in next week. Same bad time. Same bad channel. The decision to fire Comey, who was overseeing a probe into potential ties between the Trump campaign and Russia, also raised alarm among some in the intelligence community. As the former director of national... Man, shut the fuck up. Get the fuck out of here. Yo, Dre. What's up? Give me a funky ass bass line.